We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Dan Manigan in for Andy Baskin and Jeff Phelps today here on 92.3 The Fan. James Bridges with me running board. John Vacari on 2020's Answer and Phones as well. We go to the North Homestead, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, Hotline. We bring in a very good friend of this show. He is former Indians pitcher, current Rays color analyst, Brian Anderson. What's up, B.A.? Uh, not too much, my man. How is the uh, the solo show going? I mean, we haven't been taken off the air yet, so I think that's pretty much the win. <laughs> oh, listen, I, you, you can handle it. I just don't. When I got your text last night confirming today, I'm like, boy, that's, a, that's a, uh, a real nice opportunity for you. You can just, you know, listen, it's your agenda, and you get to go out there and execute it today, and I'm sure you're doing great. Well, you know, B.A., we, we got the game plan, and uh, I'm, I'm here to execute it as a starting quarterback and execute the game plan. That's, that's really what we're here for, you know? <laughs> that, that's all, hey, that's that's what it's all about. Be prepared and then step in and execute. All right, so we'll, I'll start baseball winter meetings with you, and then we'll head Browns, and then I got Matt Rule on a tail end for you because I got to ask you about Matt Rule. So, yes, winter meetings this week. I'm not going to get into Zach Elflin, even though I really like that pickup for the race. What there's a lot of rumblings going on with Sean Murphy coming to the Guardians uh, from the Athletics fill in as the catcher, and then also they've got, you know, and a lot of people around here are wonder, are worrying because Bo Naylor is in the system who's been a prized prospect for a long period of time who's sitting currently at AAA. The Rays are experts when it comes to versatility and moving guys all over the place, and you watch them all the time. How are the Rays able to do that and explain to people how valuable it is to be that versatile? Wow, yeah, you know, they have just, prioritized drafting well and developing well because they understand that you know outside of the contract that they gave Zach Eflin which was three years at 40 million dollars that was the largest free agent contract that the Rays have ever handed out so you understand that they are dealing with finances B.A., you still there? Did I lose you? Jim. Oh, there you are. B.A., you cut out midway yeah. through, man. What, what were you saying? No, no, no. I'm just saying that they, they put that priority on drafting well, uh, you know, finding some market inefficiencies as far as finding some hidden gems, some role players that they can plug into certain situations and, uh, and have them, you know, perform at a, at a high level and, uh, you know, and developing, developing their own. And so that's what they have been able to do. They've done it with a lot of athletes. You know, they bring in, they draft a lot of shortstops and center fielders that they can move around the diamond 
uh, you know, to different positions once they're fully developed. And it just, it, that's the way that they have to do business. That's the way that the Guardians have to do business. They're, they're going to be able to splurge every now and then, but for the most part, they've got to develop from within. And, you know, it, it becomes such a huge boon to an organization and allows them to stay relevant year in and year out because there's always the next wave of player coming through. Where it becomes a challenge is when you come to the Rule 5 draft. You know, the Rays had some really tough decisions to make because they've got three, four, five guys that they'd like to move on to the 40-man roster. Well, that means some guys have to come off. Good players have to come off so they don't leave these players exposed to the Rule 5 draft. And that just speaks to the depth of the system. And they just they know what they're looking for. They know how to manage the numbers. And they know how to, you know, to have a fully stocked 40-man roster so that, like I said, that next wave is able to come up, perform, keep the team relevant, keep them, uh, you know, playing winning baseball and continuing to have a shot year in and year out to, to not only win the division, uh, but, you know, to, to make the playoffs even as a wild card, which is what they did this last season. Makes total sense, man. What is that relationship like between a starting pitcher and their catcher? Oh, it's everything. It's absolutely everything. I, I'll tell you what, one of the best that I've ever thrown to, uh, a blast from the past, and I don't know how long he was with the Indians, a couple of years, uh, Tim Laker. Uh, Tim Laker, when I came back to, to the Tribe in, in 2003, he caught about half my games um, as the season went on. And I actually went into uh, to Eric Wedge's office and I said, hey, listen, all things being equal, on my day, I would love to have Tim Laker behind the plate. And pretty much for the rest of the season, uh, I was accommodated. And it was because he took such care of my outing. You felt like he cared as much about my outing as I did. And that is invaluable. And I, I'll tell you a story. Um, and this probably happened two or three different times during the course of the season where I'm pitching a game and I get to the sixth, seventh inning, and it's a one-two run game. Now, I like to establish pitching in, especially to the power guys early in the game, to make them aware of that pitch, knowing that the second, third time through the order, I'm going to try to get you out with something away, but I want you to be aware of the pitch in because you don't want to make a mistake in late in the game to a power hitter. That's how you end up, you know, uh, losing ball games late. And so, again, one, two run lead, sixth, seventh inning. We would talk specifically on the bench. Let's say, for instance, Gary Sheffield. Gary Sheffield's coming up next inning. He's up second. Nothing in. Nothing in. We will tantalize him with stuff away, with stuff that's elevated, but nothing in. We would have this discussion on the bench. You go out there in the seventh inning, you get that first guy out in a one-run game, and here comes Gary Sheffield. And you're in a sequence, four or five pitches, and you've got him leaning. And out on the mound, I'm saying to myself, the fastball in is the right pitch right now. I, that's the right pitch. I, I see how this at-bat is developing. He is showing me what he's looking to do, and the fastball in is the right pitch. However, just this last half inning, I told Tim Laker, we are not going in. Do not call the fastball in. Knowing that it's the right pitch out on the mound, I stand up on the rubber. I look in. Laker looks out at me. He looks up at Sheffield. Fastball in. Wow. And it's like, you, yeah, it is wow. It, I'm telling you, telling the story gives me goosebumps. And this happened two or three different times during the course of that season where we were such on the same page that he was back there going, I know you told me don't do this, but it's the right pitch. All the while, I'm out on the mound going, man, I told him not to do that, but it's the right pitch. And so when he calls it, you know. 
you know this at bat is about to end. And it was that kind of rapport, that kind of relationship that we had that, you know, he was probably the best that I've ever thrown to as far as that relationship goes. And that just goes to show you how important that is uh, to his staff. When they have that kind of confidence in the guy behind the plate, it gives you that much more confidence out on the mound. Jeez, brother, that's a hell of a story. I mean, that that tells you right there why the Guardians team are willing to just completely sacrifice the catching position offensively because if you've got a guy in Hedges, a guy in Luke Maley, and guys who've come around here in between there of Sandy Leone and whomever else who can have that kind of rapport with those pitchers and understanding, you're willing to give up one out for the fact that you're going to help your pitcher get a few. I mean, it makes sense, man. Yeah. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And it's funny, too, because during the course of that, uh, that wild card series when I was in town in Cleveland, um, after we had been eliminated and Gonzalez had hit the home run and, and uh, you know, the, the Guardians are going on to New York and we're going home, we obviously couldn't fly out that day. So we're flying out the next, uh, the next day, Sunday morning from, from downtown Cleveland. And uh, I went to a, down to a place on uh, East 4th to uh, catch some college football and ended up running into Luke Maley's family as they were making their plans for the trip to New York and had a wonderful conversation with his father. And, and that's kind of what we were talking about is, is how much Luke Maley, and, you know, he had been with the Rays. So, you know, I, I, I knew Luke from, from the time in, in Tampa, but just understanding the amount of time that he put in getting to know each individual pitcher, what they like to do, what they didn't like to do, get a feel for them because of how important his job was. And to be able to hang around this, uh, you know, major league baseball, you're going to have to have that kind of rapport with uh, a pitching staff. And if you do, you, these catchers can catch for an awful long time. And it's funny because those, uh, those stories came up and, and you can tell that these catchers like Luke and like Tim Laker and, uh, you know, Hedges, all these guys, how they prioritize that and realize how valuable it is to a team. Brian Anderson, former Indians pitcher, and of course, current color, current color analyst for the Tampa Bay Rays, joining us on the North Olmsted Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram hotline. BA, all right, so I got one more catcher question for you, and I swear we'll get off this. Do you think that some of the time that's being put in by these guys to understand the repertoire of pitchers and what they're going against uh, and trying to ha- ease them along the way is what causes the offensive output to just not be at the level we think it should be? Yeah, I think that there's a lot in play. I, I think that these pitchers you know, are able to basically go into a lab. Uh, with the technology that's out there nowadays, and the feedback that you can get in real time, and I mean in real time, you can be throwing a bullpen and you've got the Rapsodo set up, you've got the cameras, you've got all this technology, you can throw a pitch and immediately know, you know what, my spin was not efficient, it was back, you know, my fingers were rolled over to the side a little bit, I didn't get the carry that I want, uh, you know, the velocity, everything. So you can make adjustments like that on the fly to be able to maximize your spin, whether it be a four-seam fastball where you're trying to get ride or whether it be a breaking ball where you're trying to shape it so you can get depth and sweep uh, to you know, a slider or a curveball, whatever it is that, that, uh, that you feature as a pitcher. So you're able to get this feedback in real time, make these adjustments, and be able to shape your pitches so well you combine that with the increase in velocity, the way these guys are able to go out and train with the, you know, with the weighted balls and all the different things they're able to do to build, you know, to build pitching specific muscles, be able to work on the efficiency of their delivery. So velocity shoots up, pitch shaping becomes better and better. Um, I am absolutely convinced that the sticky stuff that was 
you know, a, a problem in baseball a, a few years ago and really came to the to a head and became national news. I think some of that had slipped back into the game, which is another advantage for the pitchers. It, it really puts these hitters in a tough spot. And, and this day and age might be the, the toughest time that hitters have had. You know, maybe I, I don't want to say in the history of the game and be so overdramatic, but certainly in, in the last couple of decades, it's that difficult. And I think that's why you have seen teams really teaching launch angle and, and swinging for the fences because they realize, you know what, against this pitching that we're facing, it's going to be real tough to string together three, four, five hits in an inning to be able to score a couple of runs. So if we can work a walk and one of the next three guys can run into one, there's our two runs. Or a double off the wall, there's our run. I, I really think that that's why hitting has taken on that all-or-nothing approach because they realize that the, the pitching that they're facing is so difficult, it's just hard to string things together. That's why, on a side note, that's why I love guys like Stephen Kwan. I think that that is a market inefficiency right now, and you're going to really see that start to ramp up here over the next few seasons. But you see the game start to move a little quicker with the bigger bases. There's going to be more running involved, better athletes in the game, and you're going to see more guys start to you know, you know, really prioritize putting the ball in play. And we saw what that was able to do for him, and you're going to see other guys take that same approach because right now not a lot of guys – can do that, and I, I think that becomes a very important part of the game and another way to combat this extremely difficult pitching that they're facing. And I think you're you're a hundred percent right on that, man. That's the same way that I was thinking too, because we and maybe it's just because I've read Moneyball one too many times and have watched Brad Pitt sit there one too many times, but like it, it just seems like this team looks for market inefficiencies and in how to exploit it. And they looked around this year and they said, "How are we going to win?" Well. Let's slap the ball over the place. Let's go first to third. Let's penalize these teams for not having good defensive outfielders. And let's figure it out as we go along and pitch well. And we'll win every game two to one, three to two, four to three. And we'll just keep rolling because we'll just keep putting pressure on you and more pressure and more pressure until all of a sudden it bursts. And I, I swear you're onto something there. And I think that's exactly how they looked at it this year. And I think they're going to continue to look at it that way for exactly what you said with all the rules and that stuff. It is built to bring baseball back to what we saw before the steroid era. You're right. And, and you know, and, and putting pressure on that defense and having athletes out there that can go first to third, that can, you know, you know stroke a single to center field and look to go to second base. I talked to Kevin Kiermaier about that because he was notorious for a ground ball up the middle. And if that center fielder waited back on it at all, he would be at second base. He would turn a routine single into a double. And so his mindset was, when I hit the ball and I know it's a hit, I am going to make you keep me at first base. I'm going to second. You're going to have to keep me at first base. And I think you're seeing more and more of that. And although you may be seeing, you know, at times better athletes in the field, defensive awareness is lacking in the game right now. It's become very robotic, and I watch it night in and night out. Guys, you know, throwing to the wrong base, airmailing the cutoff man, a lot of mistakes being made defensively. And if you can, you know, take advantage of that, boy, that's just another base and maybe, therefore, another run for you. And to that point, a team like the Guardians, a team like the Rays that are going to play baseball in that manner, now all of a sudden maybe you look to add a bopper. You know, maybe you can find an under-the-radar, you know, uh, 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 Renfro 
you know, Hunter Renfro, a, a guy like that where he can give you some sock in that lineup. You're not going to have to way overpay, and now you've diversified your offense. Better yet, maybe you can, you know, develop it from within. But the Guardians and the way that they approached the season last year, not really being on the tip of the tongue of most people to, you know, contend in that division and win the division, and they won it by double digits playing the small ball game. And all of a sudden you develop a guy that can hit the ball out of the ballpark, you know, Oscar Gonzalez, a guy that can just jack one out of there that you can have for a full season, uh, you know, to hit a bunch of home runs to go along with the Steven Kwans and Rosario's and the different guys that, that they have on that team Boy, that makes you really dangerous, especially like you said, when you combine that with an elite pitching staff and that goes hand in hand with that catcher's position, um, they've got a really nice formula and I'll be interested to see how they build on it moving forward because, you know, won the division by double digits, they're going to have a target square on their back. What are they going to do to, uh, you know, to move it forward next season? All right, B.A., you were at the game on Sunday. You saw the overtime win in Cleveland here. Deshaun Watson coming back. Thoughts on the Brownies this weekend? Uh, you know what? I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to this game, obviously, for Deshaun Watson. You know, his first game, you know, coming back. I, listen, excited. You, you're starting to – you see this team – Four and seven, you get the feeling that any chance at the postseason, you'd have to almost win out. And I don't know how probable that is because I don't think nine and eight is going to get you in. So that right now is a pipe dream. But how is Deshaun Watson going to play? He hasn't played in almost two years. He's going up against his former team where there's a lot of acrimony. He's doing it on the road. How sharp will he look? Or maybe how not sharp will he look? I am uh, very, very interested and uh, excited to watch this game, to see him out on the field. You know, he's served his time, however you may feel uh, about Deshaun Watson. Um, he has gone out there and, and done everything that he's needed to do to get back out on the field. And now I'm excited to see what he's able to, to provide this team. Because I will tell you, and he made these comments this week about, you know, playing up to the level of Jacoby Brissett. I, I think Cleveland has to be absolutely thrilled with the effort that Brissett, uh, not only the effort, but even the performance that Brissett has given this team through 11 games, not his fault that they're four and seven. All right, brother, you've officially made it that I've gone to 12-18 without getting the hook. I'm appreciative. <laughs> no problem. And Matt Rule, we'll wait and see. I thought Scott Frost was a good hire. That turned out to be an absolute dumpster fire. So we'll see about Matt Rule. All right, we'll do it more next week. Thanks, brother. Talk soon. All right, bye. See ya. See ya. He is Brian Anderson, former Indians pitcher, current Rays color analyst, one of my favorite people to talk ball with on the face of the earth, any kind of ball, frankly. So, all right, uh, coming up next, Daryl Ryder is going to join us. Dan Manigan in for Basket of Phelps, 92 The Fan. I met a guy recently who told me that he spends roughly $250,000 a month. I talked to another person recently who made $50 million at the age of 30. What do you do with that money? How do you spend it? How do you not spend it? What do you invest in? If you meet a rich person, these are questions everyone wants to know, but you're too embarrassed to ask. That's the whole premise of MoneyWise. We talk to real people who have made a significant amount of money, and we ask them all about their finances. My name's Sam Parr, and the podcast is called MoneyWise. That's one word, MoneyWise. You can find MoneyWise wherever you get your podcasts.